Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work, the podcast that helps companies create a great workplace for all because it's better for people, better for business, and better for the world. I'm Christopher Tkachuk, the Chief Content Officer at Great Place to Work. Each week, we meet with great leaders who have helped their companies become better workplaces by focusing on their best asset, their people, who in turn help their organizations become more successful. Support for Better comes from DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work. We're coming to you today from the 2020 Great Place to Work for All Summit in San Francisco, and I am joined by Carolyn Slasky, the America's Vice Chair for Talent at EY, as well as Tina Chen, the President and CEO of the Time's Up Foundation. Tina spent eight years at the White House, where she worked as the Chief of Staff to First Lady Michelle Obama, an Assistant to President Barack Obama, and Executive Director of the White House Council on Women and Girls, leading the first-ever White House Summit on Working Families and the first-ever United States of Women's Summit. I said that correctly? You okay. did. Excellent. You did. My first question is, is, I'd like for both of you to share about your thoughts uh, around what it means to create a culture of belonging and, and the steps we need to take within organizations to make it become a reality. That's one of our missions at yeah. Time's Up, yeah. is to create workplace cultures mm -hmm. where everyone in the workplace can feel safe, respected, and able to reach their full potential. So to really belong, that's what it means to have a culture of belonging. And one of the key things that I think it requires is for the people at the top to see this as a corporate governance imperative. You know, not just something that our diversity and inclusion professionals have to worry about or the HR professionals or the talent folks like Carolyn have to worry about, but something the entire enterprise from the very top all the way down through the wage scale should be caring about and talking about and actively working on all the time. Because creating that workplace culture we're seeing now in this knowledge economy you know, in the way our economy is going to work for the future, in the way you have this millennial generation who are, you're trying to attract as talent, but you're also trying to get them to buy your goods and services and they care about those values. This is a key component to how companies are going to succeed in the future. So my big takeaway for folks is from the very top, tone at the top matters and make this a corporate governance imperative. Mm -hmm. Yep. I couldn't agree more with, with Tina. It, you do have to make it part of everyone's job every day mm -hmm. to create this. And, you know, one of the things that we have really talked to our people about and how do you, how do you create that is to really just ask people the question, like just have a dialogue with people. So get to know each other. It's that human element that is so critically important in, in our world. And it's what people crave and people crave the desire to belong someplace that people care about them. And the way to do that is to have a dialogue with someone that just ask, let's get some common ground. What do I know about you? What do you want to know about me? And by doing that, you create that trust factor mm -hmm. with amongst people. And then that creates the culture and that culture that fe people feel like they can come to work mm -hmm. and be themselves at work, that feeling of belonging. Yeah. It's interesting, Tina, you mentioned that talking about appealing to the next generation of workers and leaders, right? right? You know, I've interviewed a lot of folks who are focusing on diversity and inclusion, and they've said that they are finding that many young people entering the workforce for the first time have become much more concerned about 
the quality of the culture in the workplace. And so it's the younger generation that's forcing the, you know, the top oh, leaders yes. at organizations to actually make those changes, which is yeah. great. No, I, I, I really do. I mean, all of our studies, right, around millennial workers mm -hmm. and millennial consumers, mm -hmm. right, are that they care about the values that the companies that they either work for or buy goods and services from, you know, what the, what are the values that those companies represent? Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, some, you know, there there are companies who actually get that on the consumer side, mm -hmm. and you see them at, like on International Women's Day <laughs> doing sort of initiatives for gender. But I will tell you, the other thing about this millennial generation is they can see authenticity and the lack of authenticity. So I often tell folks, look. If you're going to do that and appeal to your women consumers out there or people who care about gender equality, you can't do that authentically if that's not what you're doing back at the workplace, mm -hmm. right? If you're not living that value out with your workforce, right? If you're not looking at fair pay and promotion and equal pay and things like paid leave and paid sick days and really, you know, the, the, the kinds of conditions and culture that you're, you know, providing for your workforce. Mm -hmm. That's going to show through when you try to project a different value mm -hmm. out to the consuming world. Why is it important, do you think, uh, to take that holistic view of uh, equality and equity in the workplace? The the whole idea of a holistic view is that you have to it, – it, it, permeates the whole organization. That gets back to what Tina mentioned right on the onset. It, it is mm -hmm. culture, right? It has to permeate the whole organization. It has to come from the top. So what gets set at the top, the expectations, the accountability that, that permeates throughout the organization around that, that you make sure that there's sponsorship, equitable sponsorship for all of our, our people and that there's this sense of belonging. And so how do you do that is, you know, our CEO has actually said to all of our leaders, Culture is your job. This is not my job. This is not HR's job. But it's incumbent upon all of you as leaders to create this culture that is a culture of living our values each and every day. That's Kelly Greer you're talking That's about. Kelly yeah, Greer. Okay. And she makes that perfectly clear mm -hmm. that that's their job to do that. Right. And there'll be accountability if you don't do that. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because she comes from the background of working around human resources and culture. So, and it's very rare to see a CEO of a, you know, global company like EY have that sort of pedigree of, of being caring about caring about people, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, um she comes she's actually comes from the business, did a rotation in right. in talent and she, yeah. and what she would say is it 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 really was an anchor to who she is as a CEO. I right. mean, you, you put right. that lens on it right. and the criticality of, you know, how you take care of your people each yeah. and every day. But it's not often that a CEO has spent time in the trenches working in town. Absolutely. Yeah, so. Well, and I've seen Kelly, and yeah. it, it, as Carolyn knows, I've seen Kelly in operation and how she talks yeah. about these issues with her workforce. And it's really powerful. And what's particularly powerful when I've seen Kelly do it is it's, it's not just to the women at EY. Mm -hmm, right. It is importantly to the partners. Yeah. I've seen her do this with her most senior partners who are running the business units, you know, and having and having them own that. And that's really key because what Carolyn's saying about the holistic viewpoint is workers experience their workplace culture in totality, right? So they're experiencing their pay and promotion, they're experiencing their onboarding, they're experiencing, you know, what, what their review process looks like, what where their office is going to get, get, get set, you know, what the work assignments are. 
holistically. And too often, and you know, I've been doing diversity and inclusion work in my profession, in the legal profession for three decades, and we really did treat them as silos, right? Yes. There was a diversity and inclusion, you know, coordinator, or there was HR in one place, and then the legal team did something else around sexual harassment and compliance work. And then, you know, the, the, operations unit are the ones who are really doing evaluations. And that siloed effect meant that we weren't paying attention to the full range of culture and how each of those things interact with one another and how our employees are really experiencing it because they experience it holistically. That's the entirety of their work experience. Is there something you want to say? Yeah, and, and, no, I've, I've heard Tina actually say this, and I couldn't agree more, is um, sometimes people think about, you know, where you where you draw the line. And um, lots of times we let the, the lawyers do that, right? right? <laughs> and they draw the line. And that's a yes, really... Carolyn knows I have a whole lawyer speech we could go into. That's a really... Oh, go ahead. No, that's it. a really, yeah. it's, a, it's a really low bar. And what we have to do as organizations is set a high bar. <laughs> this is our culture, these are our values, and that will be our values each and every day. And just because some microaggression may not break a law, it's not acceptable in your culture to have that. And how do you ensure that people understand that um, and that the line is being set higher than what the legal requirements yeah. are, right? Yeah, no, my, my point is, and, you know, and speaking from my perch here now as CEO of Time's Up, you know, we were born out of a reaction to the Harvey Weinstein and yeah. sexual harassment in the workplace. And as I started doing this work, when I was doing it in private practice um, for the prior two years before I landed at Time's Up, at that point, you know, when you looked around the sexual harassment policies, probably for every major company mm-hmm. in America, I probably could have recited to, to you by heart because they all looked exactly the same. Right. They were all written based on the Supreme Court law around sexual harassment, which, as Carolyn says, sets a really low bar for behave, bad behavior. But that's what was viewed as unacceptable. So example, I always cite the equal opportunity bully. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly legal. And in fact, when a lot of times when people are sued for sexual harassment mm-hmm. under federal law, the defense is, oh, I don't just harass women. I harass everybody. (laughs) And that wins. It is a winning defense under the law. Because actually, the law only bars you from harassing or bullying based on gender or race or a protected category. So if you just do it to everyone, you're actually not doing something illegal. But I would submit it is not something as an employer you want to have, no, right? That is not an, the culture. It makes you an asshole. That's right. And that's kind of <laughs> not what you want. <laughs> Most managers don't want that. And that's Carolyn's point is that what companies need to do is not, and what we did for so many years, this is everybody, not just any one company. We all set the bar at what the lawyers, and I say this as a lawyer, mm-hmm. what we were telling our clients, this is all you're legally required to do. So don't take out any more risk. Right? Don't take any more obligations than you're legally required to do. But that has created the conditions, therefore, for terrible culture. Right? So companies now are realizing, EY is a good example, there are others where you are setting codes of conduct now that are more aspirational, that set the real values for what you want. We will not tolerate bullying or harassing behavior by anyone against anyone, for example. So yes, that may buy you a lawsuit from a white male who's gotten bullied, who may not have had a lawsuit under federal law before. But I think more and more companies are seeing that that risk is worth taking because I run a much higher risk if I have a toxic workplace culture where people don't want to work for me 
you know, or worse, you know, that we have lawsuits that will come in for sexual harassment or worse. Um, and importantly, that we are not really getting the best work out of our people because they're not happy. They're not invested. They don't belong to look at that word of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we implemented an anti-bullying policy and really just really want to take that head on and said that um, you know, there's there's harassment, sexual, but this is bullying. And, um, and what we don't want is people feeling that they can be jerks in the workplace. And I, I think it's terrific. I mean, we have seen people feel much more comfortable now raising their hand and saying, you know what? I'm being treated like I don't want to be treated. And then we, we have a place to go and we can actually make sure that we eradicate that behavior. Well, and the other piece about eradicating that behavior and looking at not the far end of the extreme, you know, not the Harvey Weinstein, actually mm-hmm. sexual assaults happening in the workplace, mm-hmm. but there's a whole lot of other behaviors that are far, far, far at the opposite end of the spectrum, but are still toxic. Mm-hmm. The microaggressions, the bullying, you know, if you can address those early on, then people can get better, right? This isn't all about getting having people dismissed from their jobs. This is about having people get better and learn to be better managers, better coworkers, better supporters of one another. That's also what it means to, is to create a, a workplace culture of belonging is a place where people can learn from their mistakes, can have better behavior, and we can set better standards for everyone. Because you mentioned uh, Harvey Weinstein. What was your reaction when you heard the news about the fact that he's guilty? Actually, I said in that day, you know, my public statement was, and I believe it, it was a new era of justice that happened when the jury verdict came back. Because what we know about these cases is, according to Rain, for every 1,000 perpetrators, 995 go free, right? Because they're either not charged ever, they're not investigated, let alone actually go to trial, let alone be found guilty. So we were fully braced for the possibility that this case would go like those 995 do out of 1,000. And especially given what the defense threw at these survivors who testified, right? That they had a relationship with him, that they were still emailing him, you know, and happily, I think the prosecution did a great job. I think the jury saw through the fact that most of the time, when sexual assault and definitely when sexual harassment occurs, it's by people who know each other. You know, it's the exertion of power. Of course they stayed in touch with him. He's the person who could control their career that they were trying to launch. And the fact that the jury saw through sort of all of the usual tropes about victims of sexual assault that the defense tried to throw up. Like they put them, the women put themselves in that position or of course it couldn't have been sexual assault because they were still in touch with him. They saw through that. Um, was pretty important and represented a real breakthrough. And I hope it means for survivors who are out there that they know that if they, if they talk, speak up, they can be believed. And to tell prosecutors, if you believe these women and you bring charges, you can win them. So, you know, the Time's Up movement and the Me Too era are powerful in the sense that they have created this ripple effect. It's not just the entertainment industry. It's, right. it's opened up exposure of the uh, abuse of privilege and power and, you know, um, and basically 
privilege, right? You know, no, absolutely. I mean, in, in the restaurant industry, for instance, Correct. a great example. In the classical music industry, <laughs> James Levine, you know, being right. accused of you know harassment uh, and aggressive sexual uh, assault behavior, um, you know, affecting yes. men, affecting men. Uh, just, it's just about the, a men's abuse of power in general. In the work that you're doing as part of the Times Up Foundation, can you explain to me um, what you're doing and from day to day towards oh, the movement? Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you for the question. So, you know, we were started in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein uh, revelations in 2017, famously launched on the red carpet at the Golden Globes in 2018. Our first initiative right then, because it was the immediate need, was to launch the Times Up Legal Defense Fund, which is housed at the National Women's Law Center. It's still operating today. Mm -hmm. um, the $24 million that we raised, in incredibly, that first year, all 100% went to the Times Up Legal Defense Fund to provide legal services and PR services where survivors need them, you know, to people who are, you know, suffering from sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, to date, in the two years that we've been in operation, over 4,800 people have received, you know, services. They come from, to your point, over 70 different industries. And importantly, three quarters of them are low income. Because that's one of the things that we wanted. And I give a lot of credit to the women of Hollywood mm -hmm. when we formed Time's Up. They really knew this was an issue that went far beyond their industry. Mm -hmm. And that they were women of privilege and had power, but they really wanted to help the farm worker, the hotel worker, the fast food restaurant worker who's suffering from sexual harassment and really doesn't have any access to help mm -hmm. or services. So we're really pleased that the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund is there and we're still operating. But then we've expanded because we want to deal not just with the after math of sexual harassment when it happens, but we want to prevent it from happening at all. So it's building the kind of workplaces like we're talking about here, you know, um, and what a great place to work is all about. You have to build workplaces that are safe, respectful for everyone, where everyone can belong, where everyone can reach their full potential. And to do that, then we that has to look at the whole range of issues that affect workplaces. It's the structural issues like the lack of paid leave or the lack of equal pay, the lack of fair pay and promotion that don't allow women and LGBTQ and disabled and people of color to succeed in the workplace. You know, it's the things that keep us from really having true diversity and inclusion up and down the wage scale. Because we know if we do that and we have that diversity and inclusion, we're going to have fair workplaces. We're going to have workplaces where everyone feels that belonging and sexual harassment won't occur. It also means, you know, making sure that we have sexual harassment policies that are broad, that we have codes of conduct conduct that represent the values that companies want to have. And so we're doing that. We're working in all sorts of industries, not just entertainment. Our mission is to build these better workplaces by changing culture, company, and laws. So we're working with companies to do that. We're working to change public policy. You know, there are 17 states that actually have changed their various aspects of their employment law mm -hmm. to provide better coverage, like including contractors, for example, who aren't covered yeah. under federal law. And we want to change culture, and I'm really excited because we have Time's Up Advertising, and we have Time's Up Entertainment, where we have people who are shaping our culture through advertising, through the movies and TV shows that we watch, really being part of our work and trying to reshape what those cultural moments are and dialogue is. So we're working across all those friends. So my day, any day, can be really different from one to the other, but we're really working in all those domains. That's great. This podcast is brought to you by DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Recognized globally on Great Place to Work's World's Best Workplaces list, 
DHL Express makes a positive contribution to the world by connecting people and enabling global trade while being committed to responsible business practices, purposeful environmental activities, and corporate citizenship. Learn more at DHL.com. We've been talking a lot about big picture and how there could be a trickle-down effect from top leadership at a company to affect policy change, right? What smaller actions do companies need to take to ensure that women have an equal shot at success and security? So I talk a lot about the small things, right? Culture change comes from the big moves, right? Big changes in policy, you know, big leadership from the C-suite and from the board. But it's also in everybody's interactions, daily interactions with one another, right? How we're treating each other, recognizing the moments. And one of the things I often say to people is, you know, one really quick thing that people can do, like the minute they go back, you know, from here in San Francisco to their workplace is... They will all be in a meeting. They will either chair a meeting or be a participant in a meeting, you know, come Monday morning. And watch for the thing that happens inevitably in meetings where there are both men and women there where a woman says something and it gets ignored until the man says something 10 minutes later and it's a great idea. Well, when that happens and you're in that meeting, if you're the chair, you can call it out and you can say, no, 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 I'm going to go back to what Carolyn just said Mm -hmm. and I want to hear from her. And you can actually even do it if you're not the chair of the meeting. If you're a fellow participant in the meeting, you can say, all right, you know, actually, I want to hear from Carolyn again Mm because I think she just said the same thing. And it's those kind of small being aware of what's happening around you. Because when it happens right now, actually, I think the men in the room just don't even notice it. They don't know it happened. And yet the women in the room all notice it. And it's part of what makes you feel like you don't belong, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're not being heard. And so the more we can make everyone in the workplace aware of those small moments, those small interactions, and then do something pretty simple to correct it, the more you will start to change culture in the small ways as well as in the big ways. You know, clearly everybody can make those little those little things, those little, and it, it, calling them out I think is important because I don't think anybody does it with malice. I don't think they realize that they're doing it, but by right. demonstrating and saying, let me let me bring Tina into the conversation. I think people will, will, will realize that. I do get back to um, the importance of making sure that everybody feels like they can bring their whole self. And I think, you know, we talk about gender equity and, um, you know, gender equity. How do we make, how do we fix the gender equity? Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I think gender equity would be the solution. Like, let's make it not a problem, but the solution. Let's make sure everybody realizes that. By having this equity, by having pe- the, all the right people at the table, you're going to get the better solutions. I mean, I, I can't think of a leader that says, by having diverse opinions around the table, I don't get a better answer. No, I agree. I mean, I, I, in my private practice, I was doing some work with the hospitality industry. And I remember attending a meeting with a whole bunch of different folks from the hospitality industry. They had just done a survey that showed that, you know, women, you know, are, represent something like in the order of 80 to 85% of the purchasing decisions mm. in the travel industry. And that surprise, women put safety as the first thing that they think about when they're making their travel decisions. And of course, like all the, whenever I tell the story, all the women in the room like nod their heads yeah. because we all do that. We're you, thinking about how do I get to the meeting and how do I go. Decision. And I said at that meeting of this summit of hospitality industry leaders, I said, look, 
if you had had women at your tables, you wouldn't have had to do the survey. You would have known. You would have known when you decided where to put that hotel that you just built, right? Or, you know, how to map out the transportation plan that you just entered into. You would have known that that was what women cared about and been able to take that into consideration because that is an example and a reason why you need to have diverse viewpoints sitting around your key decision tables. The theme of this year's summit is for all leadership. And so I think that, you know, we have to talk about when companies are deciding to embrace diversity, inclusion, and belonging, how is it creating those for all leaders, those better uh, leaders of your, of your company in general? We've just actually refreshed the way we talk about leaders. And we say that leaders, transformative leaders, are ones that create an environment of belonging. They're innovative. They're agile. So all these things that we're talking about is are, are different ways that we're asking our leaders to start to, to, to act. And so creating an environment where everyone brings their whole self to work, feels that they belong, is a key attribute of what we are saying a leader d- d- does. And so I think something like that is like by by calling out what you think a leader is, and a leader is one that creates an environment for all, I think is is critical. And then as an organization, you create accountability related to that. So how do you measure people and how do you build that into your evaluation system mm-hmm. um, on how people treat each other, how they create that environment? You know, I think a quality that we don't often talk about when we talk about leaders, especially in the business environment, is vulnerability. I think one of the things about belonging and about truly being intersectional, about dealing with race issues, as well as gender identity issues, disability issues, in addition to gender, is these are not things that most of us, so I'm 64, this is not something that I grew up learning. It wasn't part of, you know, the culture that I absorbed through my entire adult life on a lot of these issues. And even for me, for somebody who's like focused on diversity, inclusion, and gender equity issues for a long time, I I have taken to saying to some of my younger colleagues now, I will acknowledge that I am very binary (laughs) in how Mm -hmm. I think about gender identity. And non-binary is a whole new thing that I'm learning and a whole Mm -hmm. new language I'm learning. And we have to be vulnerable in admitting those things. And I think leadership now in this new era, which is really not something you do in the business world, okay. right, is to at some point admit some of that vulnerability, admit some of those limitations in what our own backgrounds mm-hmm. bring to us. And then I think we have to collectively give each other some space. Mm-hmm. We have to cut each other some slack. You know, maybe somebody will say the wrong word at the wrong moment, but we have to, you know, actually allow that to happen and allow a conversation to occur in those places. And, and I think that's the other piece of, of belonging. That's something that leaders can only actually do. You know, if a leader does that and sets the tone, I'm going to be really honest mm-hmm. about myself and my own limitations and what I understand and what I don't understand will give permission then down the chain of command mm-hmm. for that to happen throughout the organization. And it's a, it can be a really transformative moment when that occurs. Okay. In the work that you're doing for both of your organizations, how are you inspiring the leaders that you're mentoring to become, for all leaders, as I said earlier, who can help their own teams into all those necessary qualities to become transformative? One of the ways 
I mentioned is um, by actually defining what we think this transformative leader looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, what we've done a lot of is try to showcase what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So we have asked each one of our leaders, for example, to come up and discover their personal purpose, like what is it that makes them tick, and then to actually articulate that mm -hmm. and, and tell people what it is. Mm -hmm. so, and by doing that, it creates this vulnerability that Tina just mentioned. It makes them real. And so what that does is allows other people to see themselves in that that person and that 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 transformative leader. Um, we just did a uh, I just did a, a podcast where they asked me about you know what were the what were the things in my younger formative years that made me who I am as a leader, and you end up sharing things and this got shared with the entire organization, mm -hmm. but what it did is. Um, people felt like they could come to me and say, thank you. Oh, somebody actually told me that they went and it helped them have a conversation with their team that they would never have had before mm -hmm. because it kind of opened the door. So I do think organizations have an ability to create this space for people to be human, to be vulnerable, and to let themselves sh be shown so that it's okay for other people to do that as well. Mm -hmm. we, have to, we actually have to go. So... I see Maggie's here and she's just saying, let's wrap it up. Um, if there's something you quickly wanted to say. So here's one thing I did want to say. Yeah. I have to say, because we really want people to join us in making this change happen at Time's Up. We're not a membership organization. We're you know a movement that really wants to actually have everyone be a part of us. So if you're interested or if you need help from the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, or if you're a lawyer and you want to volunteer to be helpful, um, or you just want to learn more about how to make these changes you know, in workplace culture, you can just text Time's Up to three. 30644. 30644. And what's the website? Uh, the website is timesupnow.org. There you go. Thank you, Tina and Carolyn. It's been great. Our pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Better by Great Place to Work. The producers are Lizelle Festejo and Katie Van Geffen. Audio and video production is by Resonate Recordings. Better is generously sponsored by DHL Express, the global market leader in international express delivery. Tell us about your great workplace experience by finding us on social media. We can be reached on Facebook and LinkedIn at Great Place to Work and on Twitter and Instagram at GPTW underscore US. Also tell your friends about Better, which can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts.